Definitely Baby acknowledges the traditional owners, the Wurundjeri Willem and Boonarong peoples of the Kulin Nation, of the land on which we record and share our stories. We pay respects to their elders, past, present and future, and recognise this unceded land on which we live, work and learn always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Definitely Baby, a podcast that shares interviews with people about their unique experiences in transitioning into parenthood. I'm your host, Chelsea McRae, and in each episode, Definitely Baby shares stories about parents' postpartum period and beyond, and about the challenges and nuances that we unearth in this deeply beautiful yet intense time. This podcast is for those who are about to embark on the journey of parenthood and those who've been parenting for a while. Or maybe you'd just like to listen to some lovely and unique stories. So, whoever you are, thank you for joining us and I'm so glad that you're here. Every parenting journey is full of surprises, but if you can count on one thing, it's definitely baby. Hello everyone, hope you're having a lovely day so far wherever you're joining us from. We've got a lovely episode of the podcast today that I'm so excited to bring to you. We are joined by Rowie Cook. She was working as a postpartum doula for quite a while and now she's recently started to work in the birth birth space, so as a birth doula. And so we get to hear about her journey with both of those avenues of work and how they were both influenced by her own parenting journeys. So she had an emergency cesarean with her first baby and then went on to have a H-back, so a home birth after cesarean with her second. So we get to hear about how those very different birth experiences impacted how she felt about herself, about herself as a mother and yeah, how that impacted her parenting journeys overall there, as well as influenced the work that she's doing now. We also hear about how parenting has changed aspects of her self-identity and her relationships and all of those things. It's such a beautiful episode. I really hope that you enjoy it. And here is the wonderful Rowie now. Hello, Roe. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I'm so excited to have you here and to hear your beautiful story. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah. Could you start by introducing yourself to the listeners and telling us a bit about your family? Sure. My name's Roe Cook. I'm a birth and postpartum doula uh, and mother of to two girls, Sunny, who's five and a half, and Rua, who's two and a half. Um, I live with my partner, Jake, um, and our dog, Chill. Chill, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How old's Chill? She is eight, so she was here when, before any of the rest of our family. Yeah, first baby. <laughs> yeah, first yeah. baby, who Jake actually got before, just before I met him, so she was a tiny puppy and then I met him. Yeah, oh, beautiful. And what's your love story with Jake? How did you meet um, we actually met on New Year's Day at a like dance party, I guess you would call it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I was living in a share house 
with girls and he was living in share with boys and he actually went with um, his mate and I was there with my friend and they introduced us and that was it. Yeah. Oh, the rest is history. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, and could you go back to your first birth with uh, with Sunny? So could you tell us about your pregnancy, your birth and your postpartum kind of period with her? Yeah. So Jake and I had been together for about three years before we decided that we would have family and we fell pregnant quite quickly, which was good because I know that's not the case for everybody, so I'm very grateful for that. And pregnancy was fine. Like I was working as a primary school teacher full-time and, yeah, I was really like exhausted and felt nauseous in the first trimester but didn't wasn't actually vomiting or anything. If I sort of kept eating, I was okay. Constant eating, <laughs> yep. Yeah, constant <laughs> eating and just fall asleep straight after school, pretty much drive home and go to sleep. <laughs> and other than that, I was, yeah, really lucky, like, pregnancy was very healthy very fit um and very excited to be pregnant and at that point wouldn't say I was loving it I was one of the first of my group of friends to be pregnant so I was still trying to keep up with all the social things of you know that you do when you're not pregnant and not exhausted or not growing a baby so I don't think I was had really dropped into that space of enjoying being pregnant so much and it was Sunny's a January baby, so I was pregnant through all of summer. Um, it was like those 40-degree days where you just like through Christmas and New Year's and I was just feeling really big and like hot. And, uh, it was like leaking like colostrum from like 26 weeks pregnant, so I was just like feeling not like a mother in full bloom beauty. I was definitely like feeling like a big, heavy, <laughs> like, um, yeah. And yeah yeah <laughs> I remember that feeling <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I can resonate as well I was the first in my friendship group to have a baby too I'm still the first having a second baby mm. um, none of my close friends it is a huge it makes a difference mm. I think to your journey yeah. and yeah 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 especially if you're in a group of friends who you know their socialization is going out and dancing or going to gigs or late mm-hmm. night things it's a massive life change and pulls you away from that a lot yeah, yeah. like dinners and wine and movies yeah it's it's mm-hmm. a big change um by the time I had my second though all my friends had had first babies so really okay <laughs> <laughs> started the trend <laughs> I'm a bit yeah. older than them so it's kind of made a bit sense <laughs> okay yeah 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 <laughs> yeah cool yeah so, um, yeah, tell us about her birth. How was oh, that for you? Yes, sorry. <laughs> so um, Jake and I did a calm birthing course that my sister had done and my sister-in-law had done and loved. So Lael Stone actually ran that. And yeah. it was like a weekend of sort of changing your preconceptions of labour and birth about doesn't have to be a big, huge, scary thing. It's... Um, very normal and very it was all about sort of you can breathe your baby out and it doesn't have to be yeah stressful (laughs) so we Jake and I went into the labor sort of feeling like we could do it you know um 
really confident, very naively confident in hindsight. Um, I think a few people tried to tell us otherwise, but we were kind of like, no, nah, we got this. Like my me, myself, in my body was really confident. Like I'd done triathlons and I was a dancer until I was 18 and I'd, you know, it, being physical was not foreign to me, so I was like, I can do this. Um, and Jake and I were just really solid and we thought, you know, he can support me and that's all we need. We've done this course, we can go into. So I didn't have continuity of care. I was birthing. At the time we were living in the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne. Um, so all my pregnancy checks were at the Yarra Valley, like, clinic so I didn't actually go to the hospital until I was in labor and I birthed at Box Hill so we're just like doesn't matter if we don't know them we just sort of trusted that we would walk into the hospital and the midwife on duty would be looking after us and we'd have our baby but didn't quite go (laughs) that way so went into labor the day after my due date actually which was Yeah, so I was due on the 17th and it was Jake's birthday on the 18th. So had this bloody show in the morning. It was all very exciting. Through my whole pregnancy, everyone had been like, oh, you're carrying, you know, so, so wow, you're going to go early, like (laughs) really big. Like, so I thought in my head I was going to have this baby at 38 weeks. So anytime after that, I felt completely jibbed and I was like... (laughs) really would wake up every morning be like oh I didn't have the baby today or didn't go into labor last night so I was really excited when I finally went into labor which is like on my due date or day after which is unheard of yeah for (laughs) first time mom yeah yeah really feel for those women that go beyond that because that just must be such a (laughs) such a head game um and yeah so went into labor and in this course they were like, just early labour, pretend it's not happening, go about your day. And so by this stage I'd kind of um, was playing mind games with myself and I was organising things for every day. <laughs> so on the day of Jake's birthday I was like, I'll make some stuff to take into his work site for his birthday, a cake and some lunch and stuff and I'd organise lunch for myself with another girlfriend Um which was in town. So Jake was working in Northcote. My friend was in Thornbury. I was like, this is great. Um, I'll just keep doing that um, while my like early labour is happening, which I did. And sort of throughout the day I was just like, okay, this is getting like a bit more intense um, to the point where at lunch my friend Tash was like, I think you should go home. Like, I was sort of like <laughs> leaning over the chair when contractions were happening in swaying. And I had to drive 45 minutes home. So she's like, I think you should just go home. And I was like, <laughs> Yeah. And so it was Jake's birthday. I said, you go and have a beer with um, the boys after work. I'll call you. Because in my head I was like, I'm going to be in labour for days. It's first baby. This could go on for hours. So it's your birthday. Go and have a nice time and I'll call you if anything changes. So got home at about four o'clock and by six o'clock I was like oh my god I need to call Jay <laughs> so I think he said he had like two sticks of his beanie had to get in the car but that's okay <laughs> um so by the time he got home I was sort of contractions were really quite regular they were from then like three minutes apart going for like a minute 
at least, and they were so intense and so all my labour was in my back. So I just, all the things that I thought I was going to do in labour, like go on the ball or like lie down on my side and try to rest and all that, (laughs) was not, could not do any of it. I had to be standing up and walking and just, yeah, couldn't do anything that I thought I could. Anyway, we laboured as best as we could together at home until about 11 p.m. And then, like, we tried to get in the bath. But like, that couldn't – I couldn't really get comfortable. I just, yeah, just had to be standing or walking and maybe leaning over, like, a bench or a couch or something during the contractions or over his shoulders. And I had the TENS machine on for my back pain because it was just excruciating. And I called the hospital and they're like, yep, it sounds like it's time for you to come in. Got to the hospital and I was seven centimetres and they were like, oh, this is amazing. Like, you're doing really well. We've looked at your birth plan. We'll set the pool up for you. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing. We'll leave you to it and you'll be meeting your baby soon. So we were just so excited and we're like, oh, great. Like, I don't know, I think it's the first time mum you always think, oh, are they going to send me home? Like, am I only... You know, is this not really it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was really relieved when they said that. I was like, okay, <laughs> it's good, we can do this. And then the midwife came back in, so she filled the pool up for us. Jake wasn't allowed to get in at that point. I was just in there by myself, but he still sort of had his hands on me and we were labouring together. And she came back to just do a check of our baby and she's like oh maybe just hop out of the 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 bath I just need to check a few things so we had to get up on the bed um which we were sort of thinking oh this is a bit strange but sure whatever and then from then things just went downhill very quickly so she couldn't get a good um or all the monitoring that she was doing she was like try lying on your other side was listening to the heart rate and then try, oh, try your other side just to try to, so Sunny's heart rate was dropping a lot, sort of down to like 40s and not really recovering after contractions. Um, so she kept, lots of doctors came in and they were sort of trying to get a good read. They put a, um, I forget what it's called, but the little screw monitor on the baby's scalp. Oh, the fetal scalp clip or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the fetal <laughs> monitor, but like directly onto Sunny's head rather than trying to do it through me because it was mm-hmm. not looking great. So they just wanted to check that it wasn't just a reading that was wrong, that it was actually her heart rate. Um, and by this stage I was had completely snapped out of my calm birthing kind of mindset which um, in hindsight, again, I think that whole philosophy of trying to escape the pain and be elsewhere is not that helpful for labour and birth. I think you actually need to go into the pain and into the, those feelings and work with it. Um, so at that point when I had to take the TENS machine off to get into the bath, so it was like super intense, I'd lost my mind, like my I'd lost my marble, like lost my way, I guess. Um, Jake was also really obviously freaking out because Sonny's heart rate was not looking good. Yeah. And we just were in that moment had just completely like everything had come out from under us. 
I yeah, wasn't coping at all with the intensity of the posterior labour. And they said, we're just going to break your water. So they could still see a bag of water there. They said, we're just going to break your waters and see if we can get labour happening. And so they did that. And when they did that, it was just the colour of like really dark green. Oh, no. Um, yeah, which is, for those that don't know, is meconium in the waters, which means baby's under a lot of distress and has pooed in utero. Um, and it wasn't just like a little bit of meconium. It was like really, really bad. Mm-hmm. So that coupled with her heart rate being really low, like almost not there. Mm-hmm. And then my dilation went back to three centimetres because the oh, pressure wow. of the waters was not on my cervix anymore. And so that mentally for me I was just like, what, I can't, I can't do it. By this stage there was about 15 doctors in there. They were like, we need to get this baby out now because they're, they're, they're not well. So Jake at that point he was behind me and in his head he was like, I don't know how I'm going to tell Rowie that our baby's not going to make it kind of thing. Anyway, they prepped me for surgery. I was down in theatre within 12 minutes, I think, when I looked in there. So it was, I know you hear people having these emergency seizures that are just happening in labour, but this was actually an emergency seizure. Um, Again, didn't know this at the time, but what I know now is a doula. And when Sunny came out, her APGAR scores were four. So that's a really unhealthy baby. Um, so nine, I think, is the max you can get. And so there's five markers that they look at. And anything under than seven requires attention of some sort, whether that's just a few puffs of breath or, I don't know, some some care by the midwives to just get their breathing established and their colour, like, you know. So to come out with four is a really unhealthy baby. And I've looked at photos of her coming out via Caesar and the cord is already white. Wow, okay. So we don't know exactly what happened or why she was under so much distress, but there was obviously something going on with her position um, that was not right. And I could feel that in my body, like that the it just felt like something that was, was wrong and I was having that urge to push and it was just she was nowhere near ready to be, yeah, it was really awful and scary. (laughs) Um, So that she ended up being taken to special care. I did get to meet her, like, um, as they were suturing me back up and Jake went with her. Luckily I'd expressed some colostrum before going to hospital, so Jake fed that to her while I was in recovery. Um, and then by, so that was at about 2.30, I think. And then we all were reunited at about 6 a.m. Um, briefly at the special care and then I I think by 10 a.m. we were all back in the postnatal ward together. So was not at all the birth that we had planned or expected or ever thought would happen to us. You know, when they talk about 
cesareans in the birth classes were like, that won't be us, like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we sort of were really glad that she was. And then she was okay. She was, for the first 30 hours, she was, um, yeah, fine, just a normal, healthy little baby. <laughs> she recovered really well from the cesarean. Um, and then, yeah, about 30 hours after birth, we sort of noticed that she, and it must have been longer, that's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, her breathing started to get really um, strained. So she ended up having to go back into special care because she had inhaled some of the meconium um, and was in there for another 10 days after that. So, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, it was, that was a whole other journey in itself, having to leave her after about day five. We got sent home. So that was the journey of, I guess, coming in and out of the hospital every day. I wasn't allowed to breastfeed her anymore. They tried to figure out what was wrong. She was pumped full of antibiotics. Um, Yeah, there was a lot in that sort of start to motherhood that um, was not at all what we had planned or wanted. Mm. Um, But I think in this case it was necessary. You know, it was it was mm, one like of those yeah. yeah cases where we were very lucky that we were birthing in a hospital where every all the surgeons were there. But yeah, it's there's still so many unknowns around it. I've done a lot of counselling and a lot of debriefing, and we got all the um, medical records from the hospital. And even yeah, it's that's the thing about birth is a lot of the time you don't know, <laughs> you'll never know, you know why or what. Yeah, wow. Good on you for getting your records and taking the time to try to process that. And thank you so much for sharing that experience with us. Mm. And, yeah, could you tell us about your postpartum period with her? How was your recovery from birth and how are you feeling? Yeah, so my postpartum with Sunny, I didn't put much thought into, as I think most (laughs) first-time women do. I sort of, we'd expected that my mum would come and help out. So Sunny's the, like, fifth or sixth granddaughter for mum. So she (laughs) she likes to come and help out in those early days. She lives in rural Victoria. But um, unexpectedly, just before um sunny was born she was hospitalized with sciatica so she couldn't walk she was bedridden so that kind of instantly took away that support that we were expecting to have um and jake's parents were living overseas at the time so they moved home when sunny was about three months old so again i think a few people had tried to tell us (laughs) or offer support in other ways but we just didn't know any better and thought we'd be fine um and so my postpartum was really tough really really tough I so we had as I said we were living out of Melbourne so a long way from friends um and family so we've all got siblings that lived in Melbourne at the time but not near where we were some had kids so that made it hard for them to provide support because you know when you've got toddlers that are sniffly and stuff you don't want to go and help out with a new baby um and others just didn't have kids so didn't really know 
how to help or what to do and we're working full-time as well. So Jake actually went back to work the day that Sunny came home from the hospital. So our, our what was supposed to be our little newborn bubble was spent driving in and out of the hospital every day, sitting beside her in her, you know, little crib that some days we were allowed to get her out, some days we weren't. Um, it was all very clinical and monitored and medical and I feel like in that time I really lost autonomy over my baby and I didn't feel like she was mine. I didn't feel like I knew best. I was looking to the staff to know what to do and when to do it. She was on a very strict feeding schedule because every time she fed it would increase her breathing rate. Um, so I couldn't feed her for a long time. They said she just needs to rest in her crib and she was um, not even fed through the nose at one point. She was just um, given fluids through a drip. So even that experience of sort of sitting beside your little baby who you can't really hold um, or can, like, you know, connect with, um was really tough and as well I'd had a cesarean so that being the situation that it was I also they damaged my liver in the sort of rush to get it out so I was in a lot of pain obviously the wound as well and I because I wasn't able to feed her directly I had to pump every three hours so me being given the fear of you know, you've really got to pump as much as you can all the time, took that on board. And so I was pumping so much milk, I think like 100 mils each side every three hours, mm. you know, pump crank to full blast, like which I actually damaged my nipples mm. um, from doing because I was so paranoid about not being able to breastfeed because everyone sort of in that setting. It's a big thing for people with, you know, for mothers, um, who can't get enough milk when they don't have those first few days together to breastfeed. And I could see it happening around me because in the special care nursery, a lot of the babies are actually preemie babies. So, you know, mothers just trying to pump the tiniest amount of milk. Um, so I was really paranoid about that. So, which thankfully did not happen to me. I had actually an oversupply of milk in the end, probably because I was doing like much more than what a newborn would be doing. Um, so yeah, just, it was very regimented, very, um, cold, I would call it <laughs> sort of sitting in a, mm. it was before COVID. So it was in the special care nursery where there was lots of beds, like maybe 15 or something with three or four nurses. Um, and yeah, so that time was really tough. And I, because I was, you know, what hospital parking's like, you've got to park a long way away from when you're there all day and then walk. So that, cause I was wearing like one of those, um, like tubey grips to help support my belly that actually aggravated my Caesar wound. So that kind of opened up and was oozing and it was just like, there was a lot going on and you, we were just kind of in survival mode, just like on autopilot, go to the hospital, pump, you know, until the point where she was well enough. We could get her out 
you know, we they started feeding her through the nose, again, very like monitored amounts, like increasing gradually, 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 and then by the bottle. So by the time we got home after that 10 days, Jake went back to work. So I was home alone with my baby who was very unsettled. She was just <laughs> just a very unsettled baby. I know that a lot of people go through it, but she if she was awake, most of the time she was crying, which I'm not surprised, you know, after her start to life. And her eye had such an oversupply of milk, she just couldn't cope with it. So she was vomiting all the time. Um, she didn't really sleep. I would be walking around the house with her till like 2 or 3 a.m. every night. And then, yeah, would just try and feed her. She'd vomit and scream because she was so uncomfortable. Um, So, yeah, it was a very postpartum was not at all how I envisaged. I imagined this beautiful time at home with my mum there helping me (laughs) with this beautiful little baby, you know, and it just was not that at all. It was such a shock to myself and to us as a couple and a family and yeah it was it was tough and that's kind of what led me to do the postpartum work that I initially did getting into the door space but it was yeah I just remember waiting for that sound of Jake's car coming in the driveway so I could just be like (laughs) here please take her how much time did he have of work he was off for two weeks, so it's just nothing, is it? Yeah, especially if you've had a it's Caesar, nothing. and we had a Caesar, and she was in hospital. Yeah, Monday. we came home on the I think it was the Friday. He was home that weekend, and then he went back to work on the Monday. Yeah, um, just because he runs his own business, and you can't, he the job needed to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it is what it is, but I really feel sad that I didn't put more time and planning into that or didn't know any better um so yeah it was I was an absolute shell of myself because I physically was like depleted and just sore and engorged mentally that just the birth experience and then having like a sick baby like the mind like what that does to you mentally is um, again, not the ideal sort of maiden to mother transition that you would hope. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, my postpartum was very shady and dark and it wasn't probably until Sunny was about six months that I really kind of found my feet with that. Um, we ended up getting, like, Jake's parents moved home, we got more support, mum got better, we could get some more support there. And, yeah, I just, yeah was a long road but we got there in the end Sunny's obviously feeding got a lot better as her digestion matured and recovered from all the antibiotics and you know giving her probiotics and everything but Mm. yeah yeah it was tough I'm sorry to hear yeah how Mm. how was the rest of her feeding journey how long did you breastfeed her for Oh, she was great. She was such a guzzler. Like she was always, this is the thing. Nobody, if your baby is putting on weight, it kind of discounts any other thing that might be going on for them. Um, And probably similarly for baby, like mothers who have babies that just can't put on weight, that can't feed, it'd be the same. It's like, it's a direct like, okay, well, something needs to change. So 
if they're putting on weight, it's like she's fine. She might be crying. You might be having a really shitty time. but mm, Ticking those boxes. The, yeah, the GP is like you can't do anything. We don't, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, she eventually and I went crazy with that. Like I was timing her feeds. I was like three minutes, one boob, that's it, Like which is crazy mm. looking back. I was like, what? But I didn't, I was just trying anything and everything to sort of help her be a bit more settled. Um but, yeah, it took a long time for my supply to balance out with her. And, yeah, even then, like, I was doing, yeah, such small amounts of milk, but she was just still getting completely flooded. And, yeah, she, yeah, her feeding, like, we fed until she was about 15 months and she was beautiful. She was such a good, she was good. Yeah. <laughs> Once we got our balance of supply and her what she needed, it was okay, but she just, her, yeah. For whatever reason, she like we did craniosacral therapy because I thought maybe there's something, mm. um, you know, from her because she was forceps delivered via Caesar. Yeah. Maybe something's a bit out of line for her making her so upset. But she was just one of those babies. That <laughs> <laughs> we just spent a lot of time during the day. She would just she would sleep on me if she was upright because mm. then it wouldn't get so refluxy. But which. I sort of grew to love those days. I was like, well, <laughs> we're just going to sleep on the couch. I'd, you know, watch a show or listen to a podcast or listen to some music and, yeah, but lost, like I lost a lot of weight because I just, I wasn't, I couldn't eat till probably three or four in the afternoon. So I just, it's probably the, the smallest I've ever been in my whole life when I was, when, no, year from zero to one for Sunny because wow. I just couldn't else other than okay. <laughs> hold this baby yeah. which yeah makes me sad looking back on that I didn't know any better but that was our journey <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah and let's move on to your your second birth your feedback mm-hmm. baby so I know that you decided to have a, a home birth um, a little bit mm-hmm. into your pregnancy but can you tell us about how you were feeling about birth and pregnancy going into that second one and about your VBAC journey overall? Sure. Yeah. So gosh, after Sunny's birth, anytime I saw somebody pregnant, I would almost physically shudder. Mm -hmm. I was like, poor person, like they have to go through that. I was just so not okay with that. Um, But, and by the time I was pregnant with Rua, which was almost two years later, um, I was, you know, I knew I had to do a lot of things very differently. So we'd moved by then in back to Brunswick. So we were closer to friends, closer to family. Um, and I didn't want to even set foot in the same hospital before. So I was actually originally going to birth at the women's. And I thought I'd try applied for the continuity of care program because I knew by then that that was such a big thing. Missed out on that, so was like, "That's fine. I'll just get some my own private midwife to come with me." And I want a doula because by then I knew about doulas and was willing to pay whatever I needed to <laughs> to get the birth that I wanted, which I know you cannot always get the birth that you want but in my mind I was like I'm just going to put everything I possibly can into this journey so did all of that and then at about 20 weeks 
COVID happened. <laughs> and so all support people were not, no longer, well, you allowed one support person. So that's, in my case, was going to be my partner. So I could just see this um, vision and this dream of having a VBAC, which the hospital were very supportive of. They're like, of course you can. You know, you had a full-term baby, spontaneous labour. There's no reason why you can't have a vagina birth. Um, we would support you and do that. You To do that, you would just need continuous monitoring upon arrival. It's like, sure. Anyway, so did a lot of work, <coughs> excuse me, with my doula. Um, who was amazing and just made me see all the other aspects of birth that are required to birth. It's not at all about the physicality of birthing your baby. Of course, my body can do that. It was more about what's going to get in the way of my body being able to do that. And she was going to support me either or whether I decided to birth in hospital and home and so same as my private midwife she said I can support you in hospital I can support you at home it's up to you except until the rules change and then she couldn't come to the hospital anymore she could have done it virtually but couldn't actually attend the birth and so I had to sit with that decision of where I was going to birth where did I feel safe where is my body going to be able to open? Where do I feel in my power the most? And it was so simple and clear to me that that was at home. I knew if I set foot in a hospital, I would be just taken straight back to Sunny's birth and all of the stuff that happened to me at that point. Um, that was the only time I'd ever been in a hospital other than visiting my dad who was really sick when I was young and visiting my mum when she was with the sciatica. So I was like, I'm. that's not my safe place. I want to birth at home. And it was so clear to me that I wanted to birth at home. And I knew I had a lot of work to do to get to that point where I felt like I could, but I knew it was a dream. So then the journey started of sort of clearing all those mental blocks that I had around um, birth and can my body do it and yeah it was a lot of looking at my fears and where do they come from is that my story or is that other stories um the tricky thing with that is that it was my story the the emergency caesar was actually my story so I had to sort of unpack you know this is a new baby this is a new journey um yeah, it was quite incredible how my doula did that with me and I ended up getting lots of other support. Um, I had saw a somatic practitioner. I tried talking therapy but that just wasn't working for me so I ended up doing, yeah, somatic counselling where we I was holding so much um, trauma and grief in my throat that we did a lot of work around clearing that and finding your voice and, um yeah, it was quite amazing. I did a lot of internal pelvic release work with Fiona Hallinan, um, which I can go into more detail if you want, but it's just releasing all the soft tissue muscles and fascia with really gentle pressure mm. to obviously that part of your body has to open during labour and birth and we hold a lot, like any muscle and in your body, it can hold a lot of tension. Um so just, yeah, really soothing all of that. 
Um, yeah, did a lot of work physically, emotionally. You know, we had to really work on letting go of the outcome because there's a big chance that if you have got a VBAC at home that you might get transferred to hospital. Um, you know, home birth midwives are still governed by a lot of rules and they have your best interest at heart and your baby's best interest at heart. So lots of home births do get transferred to hospital. That was a reality that I had to face just because I wanted something so badly does not mean that I'm going to get it. Yeah, and then so, the uh, yeah, letting go of that emotional attachment and, yeah, just, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a lot, a lot of intention that went around. So it, about, it was about 28 weeks pregnant that I decided I was set on the home birth um, and had to, my partner was on board by that stage because he originally was not. He, seeing what he saw from Sonny's birth, he was like, mm, I don't know, but I sort of shared all the reading and the stats and learnings that I had come to um, from reading all the books <laughs> and he was like very supportive and our families were not <laughs> really. Okay. They supported, yeah, our decision but thought we were being ridiculous wanting to have a baby at home other than my brother and sister-in-law who had also had um Two home births actually before Sunny before Rua was born. So yeah, I also had 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 a pregnancy loss between Sunny and Rua. So I was really anxious about my pregnancy for the first probably twenty weeks. Sort of not really trusting my body because um, I'd had a miscarriage at thirteen weeks. So. Yeah, it was there was a lot of anxiety and around that as well. It was just another layer that I had to sort of unpack around, you know, my womb and my body recognized that this pregnancy was not viable. So rather than seeing it as a my body has failed me, being like, well, my body knew. Um which that baby, we got the NIP testing done, it had Down syndrome. So it was, it was my body's way of recognising, you know. So sort of turning that story into a positive and being like, well, yeah, that's pretty wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, building up the trust in that, in my body and my baby and, it was the best decision <laughs> that we could have made to have a home birth um, because I left that experience feeling completely different and, you know, had so many people in my corner. So I had the two midwives, I had my doula, I had my partner and I had my baby that I really trusted and was working with. I think in my per- first labour and pregnancy I wasn't as connected with my baby, I thought it was something that I was trying to do to my baby. I was wanting to birth her. Um, whereas this time I was really tuned into Rua and we were a team and I knew that I need, I couldn't do it without her and if she wasn't, you know, yeah. doing what she needed to do, um, then it wasn't going to work either. So, yeah, it was a big shift for me. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to look at it, working as a team with your baby mm. because you know, birth can feel so scary and medicalized at times and mm-hmm. yeah even we want to we want to run away from that pain I think you were mentioning earlier with your first birth you felt like you weren't working with the pain as much rather you know shying yeah. away from it which is a big we all have an inclination to do that like but it's yeah it's reframing how you're looking at that and your whole outlook and it seems like you did that with your with your HVAC yeah, and I think when you have that experience taken away from you, like when you have a Caesar for your first baby, you want nothing more than to feel birth and f- what that is. So I didn't end up using anything other than the shower in my labour with Rua because I just I was so in my body. We did actually a lot of um, work around embodiment and I danced every day as my doula prescribed, you know, like just get in your body every day, connect with your baby, connecting with your body, move, um, you know, that was a huge part of my labour and I was fully present in my labour as much as you can be when you go that deep within just before birth. But I, yeah, did a lot of work around not trying to, not trying to breathe to get away from the pain but breathe to work with that experience of labour and birth. And I actually compared to that first labour where obviously the fetal positioning was not quite right, that was painful to me and intense and, yeah, this was not at all Mm. like um, I didn't need the TENS machine. I didn't Mm. need anything other than my breath and um yeah it was just polar yeah opposites so did you still have the tens machine there you just decided not to use yeah. it yeah great okay yeah I did have it there but I also had a mental <laughs> when you overthink every every little piece to the puzzle in my head I was like things went pear-shaped with Sunny's birth when I took the tens machine off because it I'd gone from being able to control right. yeah you know that sort of um, pain management and then when I took that off everything kind of went awry so I was like I don't I don't want to rely on that <laughs> like I don't mm. want to have anything linking to me to feel like that's that's what's getting me through it's like I need to do it myself yeah definitely yeah great that sounds so beautiful can you talk to us about how both of your different birth experiences have impacted your parenting journey? Absolutely. So I came out of that birth experience. So Rua did have a shoulder dystocia, which is when they their head comes out and then they sort of can't get any further because they, their shoulders can't manoeuvre to actually do the last part of birth. So the midwives did have to internally sort of unhook her shoulders to get out. So I guess I did need assistance in that way, but I never felt scared for her. I never felt like I didn't have the support of all those people around me and that wisdom of people who have done it before um, and just that knowledge that the midwives held, that my doula held, 
the belief that Jake, he did not leave my side through that whole labour because that was the one thing that I'd felt so alone in my last labour and postpartum that I just, we, he had the understanding that I just wanted him like to be right there where I could see him, where I could feel him the whole time, which he did from, yeah, I think it was a very similar labour in that I had the bloody show at midday, went into labour at 6pm and Rua was born at like 2.30 wow. in the morning. So it was very, the timeline was very similar, no longer or shorter necessarily. Um, but I came out of that experience feeling like I could do anything. I was like, oh, my <laughs> God, I just <laughs> did it. Like this incredibly empowering embodied experience that is birth and I just was like I cannot believe that this is how you can feel after having a baby because that was not at all what I felt the first time around and I had to find my voice in my pregnancy and labor like the noises that you make in labor that clearing of my chakra that speaking up for what I wanted in my pregnancy for a home birth that went against what everybody sort of wanted for me what society and our culture tells you it was a huge learning for me um, in finding my voice around what I want and speaking up for what I want which is also part of that you know good girl culture that you believe like that we all grew up in um, that still is so prevalent today but yeah, that was a huge learning for me. And so going into my motherhood journey as a mother of two, I wasn't looking to external sources for validation or am I doing this right as I was with Sunny. Um, and Rua ended up getting admitted to NICU as well after 30 hours of birth because she, like not anything to do related to her birth, but she was born with a blockage in her small intestine. Mm -hmm. So even that whole experience, which again was a very sick baby and without medical attention would not be here today as one of the really lovely nurses in NICU told me, I'm like, Wow. Thank you. That's not helpful. Um, but she was right, you know, they had to operate, they had to remove 11 centimetres of her intestine to remove the blockage. Wow. And so that, again, experience of, oh, my gosh, I'm back here. I'm back doing the in and out of hospital with a baby who's very unwell. Um, that which would have been which was so traumatic with Sunny, with Rua was not, yes, it was hard and sad and heartbreaking, but I felt like a different person and I didn't feel that sense of like defeat or, you know, that you're just shattered into a million pieces. It's like, I can do this. I can use all those tools which my midwife actually said to me, she's like, all those things that you used in your labour, you need to keep using to get through this next bit, you know, being embodied, like connecting in with her, doing all of that. And I, yeah, advocated completely differently for our journey 
than I did with Sunny. Sunny, I just sort of sat back and did what I was told in that environment. With Rua, I was like, I'm getting her out every day. She's other than like straight after surgery where she had to recover, you know, she was morphined out of her little body. But once she was able to, it was like skin to skin every day, all day. Mm. Um, yeah, just would go and get some fresh air at lunch, go to the toilet, have something to eat, go back, you know. Mm. So that just feeling like I was in control just made such a difference and, yeah, it was just such a different journey um, when you compare the two, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is from your the birth experience. I think, yeah, I can't see how your birth experience cannot impact your motherhood journey or your maiden to motherhood journey mm-hmm. um, because that's, you know, laid down in your sense of self, your sense as a mother, your, you know, confidence in your body, in your intuition, whatever. So, yeah, it was completely different for the better. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, and I completely agree. I think the the way that we birth is is so pivotal into who we are as people it's the birthing of a mother you know not just the birthing of a baby and it's how how you're feeling as how we're feeling as birthing people after we birth that means so much Mm. yeah and it's so sad like when you look at the stats like so many people come out the way I felt the first time I think it's up to 42 percent or something And one in three, the last Mothers and Babies report was saying people feel traumatised, which is so wrong and that's, yeah, again, why I do what I do because, if I, yeah, if I feel like I can make a difference to even, you know, yeah. those few people that I work with a year, then it can totally change the trajectory of their motherhood journey and... You know, even if you speak to mothers and grandmothers, they still remember what happened to them mm-hmm. in their birth and how they felt about it. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it does. It is a very, very important rite of passage that Absolutely. you go through and it should be honoured and celebrated, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, I'd love to delve into your work a little bit. So you've mentioned a bit earlier that you your postpartum with Sunny really influenced you, your decision to become a postpartum doula and now you've more recently moved into the birth space as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about your journey there, what inspired you, yeah, all of the things? Yeah, so I can still remember those people that did come to my house and be like, go for a walk, you know, with Sunny. And it was like the first time that I'd been out of the house without a baby, you know. Um, I could still remember that. Like my mother-in-law was so beautiful at just being like that postpartum support, I guess, like not just straight after birth but for the entirety of my motherhood journey really. And I knew that a lot of people don't 
have that as I didn't in those initial weeks and months. And especially because of COVID, like people were separated from their families who lived overseas. They couldn't come and support um, all people. Again, it's this thing that we as women in particular hold, but also men, is that they don't want to ask for help. It's a really awkward thing to do and we're not, it's not something that's part of our culture and so having a postpartum doula, some people see that is an okay way of asking support is to, <laughs> you know, pay for it, which is so sad because it's stuff that would have been done in a community, you know, and it's probably done in communities in a lot of places in the world. But unfortunately where we live, that's not the way it happens. So I, yeah, started out as a postpartum doula after Rua's birth because I knew the the change that having a doula made for me was just so incredible. I thought I want to give that back to other people um, and was sort of teetering on the idea of being a birth doula but I knew as having a small baby and still breastfeeding that that was not an option um being on call so I just thought I will do the training for postpartum doula and offer that as a way into that beautiful space um and did that for about two years which is was a beautiful way to come into the birth work because you're meeting people in the early stages of pregnancy and you are walking with them through their pregnancy and labor and birth I didn't attend any births um but was definitely there helping them in little moments along the way of their pregnancy um and then obviously being there after their baby is born and just supporting them to find their feet as a new mother and just helping them realize that they are they know their baby best it's so easy to get caught up with all the books and all the instagram feeds and you know there's so much information out there it's actually overwhelming for new mothers and it it makes you feel like there should be a fix for everything um which there's not (laughs) and so it's just um yeah I love cooking I grew up in an Italian like my mother's Italian so food was a big part of my sort of family life and I just love cooking for people so I could weave that into my love of supporting mothers and had that business for a while and then I once I'd weaned Rua I was just like I have got such a strong pull to the birth world I I feel like I was missing out on that key pivotal moment of support um being there in pregnancy and then for postpartum it's like there's that big you know beautiful um gap that is birth so I I'm doing the Rhea Dempsey yeah, birth attendant training this year and I've attended some births and um, I'm just, it is such special work that I'm very honoured to be able to do and the passion is still very <laughs> deep within me that I don't think anyone should have to have that shitty birth experience first to know that they need, you know, it's, 
yes, it is everyone's own journey that they need to go on, but with a bit of knowledge and, you know, if you know what you know before you go into birth, you can not come out feeling so, you know, dishevelled and (laughs) (laughs) um, uncertain. It's like if you know going in that, these are the things that might happen and this is questions you can ask and um, this is how physiology is designed for birth, then even if you do end up with a Caesar, then it's not as it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience or how or however your birth may end up. Um, yeah, that is with the right support, you can feel like, you know, still feel amazing. So yeah, that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, and I think that the birth team that you choose to surround yourself with is so mm-hmm. important and makes all the difference. And so many first-time parents don't maybe don't know about doulas or don't think that they mm-hmm. need them or like many of us kind of go into that first birth a little bit naively <laughs> just thinking, oh, you know, yeah. um, I don't want a cesarean. I'll, I'm just going to have a you know, this kind of labour, you know, yes, (laughs) like that kind of, that kind of attitude. And then, but yeah, I I want people to know as well how important that support is and how amazing doulas are. Like I did a a poll on my Instagram recently about like asking whether some people had a doula for their birth. It was kind of like a little birth poll and I think out of 60 or 70 people that voted, it was only something like 9 or 11% of people, I can't remember mm. how many of that was, that actually had doulas for their birth. And, yeah, I just I just wish that more people knew about it and knew about how amazing of a support that actually can be and how important that, that birth team is. Yeah, totally, 100%. I think, yeah. Either people don't know about doulas. I think there is a huge uprising, especially in Melbourne, of what birthing people expect and want and the knowledge around doulas or continuity of care, but there's still just not, it's not accessible to a lot of people because, yeah, of cost really. Mm. And there's only a certain number of... (laughs) you know, programs that do continue midwifery care. There's only a certain number of doulas. You can only take on a certain number of births per month. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because, you know, you can be with somebody for 20 hours or so. (laughs) Yeah. 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 But, yeah, I'm I'm glad as well that there is that that growing awareness of it. So important and I really want to do an episode on the podcast at some point so I'll have to get you back on on the importance of having a doula <laughs> and speak to some doulas yeah. speak to <laughs> people who've had doulas <laughs> speak all things yeah. Doulas. yeah 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 oh, well yeah everyone is going to be so lucky to have you in their space um, you're such a gentle presence and yeah I look forward to hearing how your journey into birth work continues there. Can you tell us about how becoming a parent has changed other aspects of your life, like your own self-identity, your social life, your relationship with Jake? How's all of that been for you? Oh, my goodness, so huge. <laughs> um, 
So I look back to myself five and a half years ago um, or even longer, I guess, because all these changes begin in pregnancy. You know, you can't for a lot of people or for me, I should say, I shouldn't presume for other people, but for me I couldn't do a lot of the things that I enjoyed doing even when I was pregnant, like doing exercise or, yeah, drinking and just socialising. Just, yeah, it already started to change at that point. And I think after each baby I've had a complete identity shift in some way. So as I mentioned before, I was a primary school teacher for 15 years before I was had Sunny. So I went back to that in between my babies um, but I was also actually studying architecture because I wanted to do something a bit more creative. Um, I thought, oh, once you have kids, it's really hard to be around kids <laughs> all day when you're at work <laughs> in that sort of school setting. It's like, wow, this is a lot of <laughs> noise <laughs> And it just, the out, it was, yeah, there was a lot that just wasn't working for me personally. So we're studying architecture and Jake's a builder. So we thought we'd have, we'd build this, um, add to our company, the construction company that we already have and have sort of a design branch to it. Um, and then after having Rua, I was like, I don't want to sit in front of a computer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not filling me up it's draining me as much as I enjoyed the creativity and design work it's like I'm a people person and I yeah sort of did a lot of reflecting and just came back to that how amazing birth is and misunderstood birth is and thought that I could really make an impact with that um but even thinking back to when I first became a mother with Sunny, I can really, it makes me giggle now, but I remember like getting, even getting dressed in the mornings and like just to walk up the street to get whatever you want with the pram. And I was like, can I wear this now that I'm a mum? Like, like, like that whole identity totally, yeah. of like, I'm a mother now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, and sort of I think particularly with your first baby is still because you can still do a lot of things. Like you can still, you know, it's much easier when you've got one baby and two adults to do a lot of the things that you enjoy doing mm-hmm. by tag teaming or having two sets of hands there to do it all. So the change was huge but manageable. I think the transition from one to two um, has just been another level again I think you sort of don't get that time off at all because (laughs) you can divide and conquer or you can do things as a family but you so that mother you know mother role is so deeply ingrained that in at the beginning you can sort of flick in and out of mother and other and do that whereas now almost six years on it's like that mother is kind of the continual thread and you can maybe like dip out for me who I'm only working two days a week um and so that it's it's a very it's a different um I guess balance of I'm mainly mother and I 
can, you know, delve into my doula work in between all those motherhood moments, which are never too far away, really. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's completely changed who I am in some ways, but then in others, not at all. Like I'm, I've always loved kids. I've always loved nurturing others. I've always enjoyed connecting with other people. Um, so, yeah, I think it just has stripped away the expectations in a way of what I felt like other people thought I should be doing or be and just being like, well, what do I want to be and what do I want to do and how can we make that work? And I'm very, very grateful for Jake in supporting me through these, mm. you know, different identities, I guess, of or just, you know, you grow so much um, through life but particularly when you become a mother, I think, that he's just been so supportive and being like, yep, sure, <laughs> go for it. You'd be great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's so um, beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And how about your relationship together? How's that kind of flourished or over time changed? Um, oh, gosh, it's definitely, like you say, grown and changed <laughs> and flourished in points, but also there's it brings out when you become a parent, you've got this extra whole extra person to consider or two people to consider. So you can't just, it's not, you've got to be really intentional with where you're putting your energy. And I remember my mum telling me when I was, you know, (laughs) pregnant, I think just being like, just remember that your number one should always be your partner. You know, it's very easy to, um, take on that care role, that mother role and put all your energy into your children. And I think that was really good advice, which is hard to do sometimes because you're both kind of on survival mode doing your own things that it definitely takes a lot of intention to stay connected. Um, We're building a house together at the moment, which has been very uh, stressful yeah, it's it's definitely a completely different relationship to what we had pre-kids that was very spontaneous, very let's do this, very adventurous, um, and now we're very much. <laughs> a lot more planning and I, goes into things. <laughs> a lot more planning. Not even that, just like we, the, the where we go is a lot simpler and we still try to bring joy and adventure into our lives, but it's definitely a lot <laughs> getting easier now that their kids are a bit older that we don't have a pram anymore you know that sort of stuff is good but you know those yeah dinners out together and whatever are very few and far between Mm. (laughs) it's it's, um yeah finding different ways to connect yeah yeah but then also you know having that incredible experience of birth together is so bonding and just I think for him to see me in my power and for me to see him in such that supportive role is such a beautiful connection to share with somebody. Mm. Um, yeah. 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 Mm. So in that way, definitely strengthened, but yeah. 
there's also that <laughs> but the tension is also a lot higher once you have kids definitely <laughs> there's so many more stresses involved and sleepless nights and <laughs> yeah 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 oh that's beautiful though <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So I'd love to know um, what has surprised you the most about parenthood and has becoming a parent changed any of your preconceived notions or beliefs about parenting? Um, yes, is the short answer. <laughs> but I think when I was reflecting on this question, and I don't think I'm alone in this, that thinking that when we're pregnant, we were like, having kids is not going to change our life. Like, <laughs> Gonna spin it around Um, and absolutely that is not the case. Babies have got their own and children, they've got their own temperaments, their own needs. Um, of course you can't just disregard that and do what you want to do all of the time. So also I like since having two children and seeing that the difference in their little personalities and their needs and their wants is so affirming because as a like someone before having kids if I was looking at parenting I was seeing if a child was doing something you know that we wouldn't consider good behavior which is such a silly term but it's like, oh, gosh, my children aren't going to do that. And I think, too, being a primary school teacher, you think you're around kids all day, you can manage 22, 25, <laughs> you know, children and have them all, you know, focused and learning and doing whatever. It's like parenting, sure. One, one kid, you walk in the park. But it's completely different. Like the dynamic of parent and child is so interconnected. So, yeah, my idea of the type of parent I was going to be and the type of child I was going to have was complete, is completely off, completely off. <laughs> yeah, I just think kids will be kids and they should be kids. Yeah, so having also two kids that are very different has just been reaffirming that it's not what I'm doing necessarily. They are who they are and... I need to honour that and work with that and, you know, support them to be who they are and who they want to be rather than trying to change them so much to, you know, be what I thought, to fit in with what I thought my kids would be. Um, yeah, that was a, that's been a huge unlearning, I guess, of what it is to be a parent. It's like you need to support them and hold them up and help them to find who they are, which is not dissimilar to being a doula, actually. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, it's not, you're not trying to do anything other than help them see themselves for who they are and be confident in who they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting and beautiful parallel to kind of draw between your doula work and your mm-hmm. parenting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gorgeous. Oh, well, Roy, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today. It's been so lovely to speak to you. Where can people find you um, if they want to learn more or hire you yeah. as their beautiful doula? <laughs> sure. So my main, I'm mostly active on Instagram. 
and my handle is Cook underscore doula. Mm-hmm. And on there you'll find a link to my website, which I've updated the content but haven't yet updated the web page. So that's still andthempostpartum.com.au. Um, but, yeah, if you find me on Instagram, it's probably the easiest and then you can navigate to me from there. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to be living and working on Wurundjeri land until December, January, and then from February next year we're moving to Wai River, so oh, we'll wow. be down the coast. So if anyone's birthing <laughs> down that way and wants a doula, yeah, oh, look great. up. Yeah, what an exciting move. Mm, yeah. Big tree change, sea change, yeah. yeah. But another thing that I think having kids has made us realise that, you know, nature and just space is <laughs> makes us all happier <laughs> yeah the fresh air something so much nicer about yeah. that country air and seeing the stars in the sky it's gorgeous yeah and just yeah I'm less angry when I'm not see <laughs> that's probably something else yeah. but you know I did not think like I've always been such a calm grounded person and since becoming a mother I've mm. just you know, they talk about the mother age, but yeah, it's real. It's real. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my goodness! Yeah. Yep. So no, we'll yeah. making the move. Oh, amazing. Oh well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Sharing our stories is such a meaningful way to connect with ourselves and others, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Follow us on Instagram at Definitely Baby Podcast for photos of our weekly guests, updates, or to share your own story. I'd really appreciate it if you could subscribe, rate the podcast, or share with a friend. It really helps us to grow and help other parents feel more supported by these beautiful stories. I'll see you next week for another lovely episode.